Uh, Neil Cole, in his book, Search and Rescue, he's a Christian author, uh, he shares of a lifesaver's most frustrating rescue. He shares of a lifesaver's most frustrating rescue. Uh, so in a previous life, before he was an author, he used to actually patrol the beaches, I think of a Californian beach, but I could have that wrong. But he used to be on the beach. And he would talk about that as a surf lifesaver, when you saw a rip forming, you could tell when a weak swimmer was starting to be sucked out to sea. And so what would happen is as a surf lifesaver, you would get ready, you'd throw the can on, you'd swim on out to go and save that weak swimmer because they're being slowly taken out to sea. <coughs> and the most frustrating rescue for them is when you would get there, you'd get to that person that you know is a weak swimmer. And they would look at you with indignation and say, what are you doing? I don't need your help. I don't need your rescue. Why have you come here? Now, the thing about surf lifesaving is you might know that they're drowning. You don't actually have the authority to bop them on the head and throw them over your shoulder and swim them into shore. If they're not willing to be saved, if they don't recognize their need to be saved, if they're not open to you taking them into shore, you actually can't save them. Now, that doesn't mean that you just swim away and forget they're there. You know that they're a weak swimmer. And so he goes on to share how, you know, you, you just got to go back to shore and wait until they run out of energy and then go back and actually bring them in because it's going to happen. But it's the most frustrating rescue for them because you know, you know that they need saving. You can see them being, they don't even realize that they're caught in a rip. And they're being sucked out to sea. Uh, we're continuing our series today called Sent. It's a short and sharp four-week series. Uh, and it's about evangelism in the 21st century. How can we grow? How can we increase our knowledge of evangelism and our capacity to reach people and help them come to know Jesus? Uh, and so a couple of weeks ago, we just started talking about it. And we talked about being an ambassador that at all times you're a representative of Jesus. Just like when an ambassador goes to a foreign country, they are a physical representation of what's going on in that place. <coughs> and then last week we talked about people of peace. That one of the things that we want to do is we want to actually be aware of who's in our circle, who are our friends, who are our family, who are our work colleagues, who are our neighbours, who are the people who live uh, in our suburb, who are the people that we run across from day to day, maybe in our sporting clubs or maybe in our gym groups or whatever that might be. And where are they on their journey towards Jesus? And we, we talked about a few different areas that people might be up to. But that one of the main ideas behind a person of peace is that they're a person who is welcoming. They welcome a connection with you. Now, that might just be a connection with you as a friend, or that might be actually a, a welcome of you actually from a sense of faith and actually having an idea that you want to grow in your faith. So that's a person of peace, looking for who are those people in your orbit who might at least be willing to connect with you. It may not be they're interested in faith, may not be that they're actually ready for the next step, but they're people of peace. 
And so today I want us to kind of look at the next step. What, what do we do from there? So we've, we've kind of determined some people of peace in our orbit. Maybe it's some friends, maybe it's some family members, maybe it's our neighbour, whoever it might be. We've determined that they're potentially a person of peace. What can we expect from here? And what do we do with that? I'd love you to turn with me to Matthew. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, it will be up on the screen if you want to follow along on your phones or in your Bibles. If you want to take notes, all of those things, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, and we're looking at a fairly famous parable of Jesus, uh, where Jesus shares things that are kind of a bit metaphorical. And they're actually meant, they're stories that are meant to kind of help you see a bit of a picture of what's going on. Uh, so we're going to pick it up in verse 3 to 4. And then we're going to jump down to see what three to four actually means. This is one of those parables that's really, really helpful because Jesus gives lots of parables. In fact, our next series is all on the parables of Jesus. But one of the things is sometimes Jesus tells us what they mean and sometimes he leaves us to work it out. This is one of those ones where he actually goes through and explains this is what it means. And so we can take each piece and then sort of dig into his teaching around what it actually means. So picking up verse 3, it says this. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. Then we skip down to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. To, to get a full understanding of what's actually going on here, uh, we actually have to take a bit of a step back in time. And we need to go back to the farming practices of the first century world. Now, the farming practices of the first century world were very, very little like the farming practices of today. They didn't have the giant big machines that could, you know, dig turrets through the area. Uh, they didn't do huge fields because, generally speaking, the person who was sowing the field was also going to be the person who was harvesting the field. And so you could only really sow what you could physically, personally harvest. And you weren't really going along and tilling really nice little lines so that you could come along and gently at very, very specific distances put in a seed. Now, what actually happened was the farmer would put a bit of a, a, a sack over his neck or a bit of a, a wooden thing, and he'd have two bags of seeds, one on each side, sometimes just one, but normally it was sort of two, and they would go along and they would just be throwing seeds as they go, be casting it over their field. They've done a little bit of prep work, but not an awful lot. And so they're throwing seeds out over their fields. And as they're throwing, of course, that seed is going to go into lots of different places. And so when Jesus is sharing this parable with the people he's sharing it with, they would have all had a very, very good knowledge of exactly what he was talking about and how this is exactly what happens. And so what you would have on your field is you'd kind of have some trodden paths. Like there are some places that are commonly on your, on your fields and that's where you sort of walk along. And so those places get sort of bedded down a bit. It's a bit harder for things to actually grow. It's a bit harder for the seeds to fall in there. But the farmer's not really like paying a lot of attention to make sure nothing falls there. And so as you go, some of the seed 
simply falls on the path. Not every seed that is thrown is going to grow. And that's actually still true. Now, in our farming practices, no matter how good they've got, not every seed that is sown will actually grow. And so Jesus starts off here. So even, and what this means is, even when you've identified people of peace, maybe you've identified someone who is actually close to you, who's welcoming of you, who's you know, happy to kind of be friends or maybe journey with or talk with you about things. Sometimes there's just no interest in the gospel message. They might be perfectly fine with you talking about Jesus. They might be perfectly fine with you being a Christian. They might be happy to even, maybe they even come along to a couple of things, but probably not in this area. But at this time in their life, in this season that they find themselves in, they're just not interested. And I, I'm probably going to say that this is the most frustrating person as a Christian. This is a bit like Neil Cole's experience of the person. Because you know that they need saving. And you know that what you have to offer are the words of life. And you know that if they would just come to follow Jesus, he would provide some answers for the questions that they actually are having because you know the questions they've got. But they're just not open. So all you can do in this case, and this is where you can't really just keep going with the parable because it falls down eventually, is all you can do if this is the response from your person of peace. All you can do is pray for a change of season. All you can do is pray that maybe something might happen, and hopefully it's not like something terrible, but sometimes that is what happens, that, that something would happen in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds, that would mean that they are a little bit more open. But if you're going to be a person who shares the gospel, you actually have to be ready and prepared that this is going to be a common response. That actually, again, where the, I think where the farming metaphor falls down is, in reality, this is probably going to be most of the seeds. Many, if not most of the seeds that you sow, are often going to come across a person who at that time, in that season, is just not interested. And this is the reason why lots of us don't share the good news. Because it's hard. Because you want those friends to know what you know. You want those friends to experience what you've experienced. And it hurts when they don't receive. Fortunately, this is not where Jesus leaves the story. Because I think we'd all be a bit depressed if this is all there was. And he goes on to share, no, there are some other things that happen. There are some other soils. So Matthew 13, picking up at verse 5 and 6. And then verse 20 and 21. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Uh, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root... They last only a short time. 
when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I wonder if you know anyone who fits this soil. I wonder if you've experienced someone who, who came to faith and you're like, yes, finally, like one of my friends has decided to follow Jesus. And then three months later, they're back to exactly how they were. And it's heartbreaking and it's disappointing and it's like, oh, because something came along and knocked them over. They finally went, yes, I'm for this. Maybe this is your story whether this was your story years ago or even now. Maybe you've got some challenges or some things that you can kind of sense. Oh, there's, there's some challenges that I'm not quite sure what to do with. See, once the gospel is accepted, we need to encourage root growth. So again, in the parable, it's, this, it's the seed that's landed on rocky soil. And the only way to stop rocky soil being rocky is to kind of dig it up and actually remove some of the rocks and, and get some machinery in there or in the old days get a shovel and sort of dig it around. But fortunately, when it comes to following Jesus, that's not what we have to worry about. But we do need to recognize that when someone comes to know Jesus, that first one week, three months, six months, three years, it is so important to help and to make sure that they are equipped to put down some firm roots, to put some practices in place, to put some things in place, to, to meet up with them for coffee and to talk about some things, uh, to make sure that those roots go down. And so historically, what this actually looks like and the way that we do this really well, uh, it, it's a phrase that all of us like, but it's the idea of spiritual disciplines. Again, this goes right back to the time of Jesus. That faith is actually a discipline. If you've been following Jesus for more than five minutes, and I think everyone here has pretty much, if, you, if you're following Jesus and you're here, you've been doing it for more than five minutes, you will know that it's difficult. It doesn't actually always come easy. There are things that come along that try and pull you away. And for some of you, maybe you've had seasons where you actually have stepped away from faith. And then something's drawn you back in again. Faith is a discipline. It's something that we have to actually put some work into and, and make sure that in those times of challenge and, and in the good times as well, actually, we're putting in some good systems and good, some good practices that will hold us through those seasons of challenge. So what are the roots of faith? Well, some of the things you can do, uh, and some of these are the, some of the equipped sessions that I actually run from time to time, uh, is how to read the Bible. I mean, for many people, if they didn't grow up in the church, they open up a Bible and go, where do I start? Oh, let's go Genesis 1. Whoa. All right, let's go Matthew 1. Oh, it's a genealogy. And they, you know, they try and find places to start. And they're not quite sure what to do. And so actually learning how to read the Bible. Uh, making sure that you actually learn to pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And what's interesting about that is the disciples growing up in a Jewish culture 
already had an understanding of what prayer was, and yet Jesus still felt the need to go, actually, this then is how you should pray. So making sure that we're helping those that are exploring, that have just come to faith. What does prayer look like? And I can tell you, when someone first comes to faith, Prayer is not a 30-minute long, oh, I beseech thee, thy Father in heaven, and, and we wax lyrical sometimes in the Christian faith in our prayers. When someone first comes to faith, it's lightning bolt. It's just short and sharp. Every morning you say, hey, God, thanks for today. It's a meal. Hey, God, thanks for this meal. Hey, God, help me with this. I think sometimes we create our own barriers around prayer. And we try and make it this big thing. And that's exactly what was going on in Jesus' day. And they would stand in the synagogues and they would cry out and, and pray. And we have so many Christians today that are afraid to pray because they can't pray good enough. That's a challenge. Prayer is meant to be as simple as two friends talking together. We're helping people. And maybe for you, maybe that's an area of growth. Maybe that's an area that you need to put some roots down in. <coughs> Discovering spiritual gifts, that when you actually decide to follow Jesus, you've received the Spirit. And every person who follows Jesus is gifted. Now, sometimes those spiritual gifts are things you are actually already good at that Jesus then points in a spiritual direction. So you might already be really good at something even before you were a Christian. And so I know for some people, they go, I haven't got any spiritual gifts because they've got that kind of idea that, well, I was already good at that before. But what happens is Jesus takes it and he uses it for spiritual purposes. Sometimes your spiritual gifts are actually new things that come to you. And so discovering what are your spiritual gifts and how can you work in those and how can you act in those. And so that's another thing that we do from time to time is we offer some courses to help you to discern what are your spiritual gifts. Uh, the next one has been lost in the Western world. But was such a pivotal aspect of faith in the first few centuries. And that is the idea of fasting. And this is not weight fasting. This is not to lose weight. Uh, that might be one of the outcomes is it might actually help you with losing weight, but it's not for that purpose. It's actually about honing and training your body to recognize and to use the cues of hunger to draw you to a spiritual reality. That we can get really distracted. I won't ask you to put your hands up because either you'll just know you don't, or you're already distracted and you won't hear the question. We all get distracted. And so one of the things that fasting teaches is perception and being able to notice those cues and those pulls and actually using those to draw you back to God and to be reminded where our real sustenance comes from and then break fast and actually eat. You know, like that's, we have breakfast. We, we say breakfast. We've lost, because of the way we say it, the reality that it's break fast because you've been sleeping all night. Fasting was such a part of the world for a long period of time and we've completely lost it. And yet there's a rich spiritual heritage to understanding fasting in the Christian faith. Getting connected with a church is such a pivotal part of the early days of following Jesus. One of the best ways to not fall away is to get plumbed in, get connected, get your roots down in a local church and get some people around you to help you to grow and help you to be challenged. And, and when those challenges come, to be there for you to cry on their shoulders. 
And then looking at things like baptism and membership. Not all churches practice membership. We're a Baptist church. That's part of our understanding of church. Uh, and it's a really helpful thing, but I'll talk more about that another time. But building roots is so formational. And that's what will hold you instead for a faith that lasts. Jesus continues in verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And in verse 22, he explains this. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, there are some similarities between the, the seed that falls on the rocky places and the seed that falls amongst the weeds. Because here's the reality. In life, the weeds are going to come. As you follow Jesus, things are going to pop up. You might have some really good roots, but things are going to pop up that are going to strangle you, that are going to tempt you, that are going to challenge you. And Jesus very clearly uses one here, and that's money. One of the things we don't realize in the Western world is that pretty much if you live in Australia, by world standards, you are one of the richest people to ever live. And when you're struggling to put food on the table, that doesn't make you feel very good. But that's actually one of the realities. If you are in Australia, you are one of the richest people to have ever lived. It's quite mind-boggling. And we get distracted by getting the latest job and finding new ways to make more money to do lots of things. And we have challenges that come up and life circumstances and we, we lose jobs or, or things happen to our families. And there are all these things that come up around us and they choke us and they draw us away from faith. But this is where it's similar to the soil that falls on the rocky places. Weeds and bugs might pop up. Here's the other one, actually, bugs. Okay, the parable doesn't talk about bugs, but if you do any kind of gardening, you'll know that bugs are the bane of your existence. And you might have something going really well, and then the next day you come out and the caterpillars have just torn through it. Maybe my snow peas are going to go in the next couple of weeks. I don't know. We'll see. I'm trying to keep on top of the caterpillars. So these things will pop up. They're going to happen. But did you know plants can outlive weeds if their roots are deep enough? So it's a slightly different thing. In the first one, they haven't got roots because there was rocky soil. It didn't let them get the roots down. The difference here is this soil is not necessarily rocky. You've had the opportunity to put roots down, and the outworking is still the same thing. If you've put the work into your roots, you will survive the thorns of this world. If you've put a rich amount of energy into putting yourself in a firm foundation, plants will outlive the weeds around them. Most weeds are not perennial, to use a gardening term. Perennial is multi-season, okay? Most weeds actually only have a season or two where they've got to drop their seeds so that the next batch of them can come up. But you can live through the weeds if you put the work into your roots, into your foundations, and help those that you're journeying with towards Jesus to do likewise. So the other challenge, though, is that in those seasons where life is just not right, where things are just not coming together, 
don't be surprised when the weeds are thriving to not see the person thriving. So while the weeds are thriving around someone, there might be someone who's, they've got good roots, they're going to survive, they're going to get through. In that season, they will be less fruitful or even potentially unfruitful. So on the one hand, where you can, become good weeders. Okay, don't look at your own gardens in case that's not something you want to be inspired by, but actually become good at helping to pull the weeds out of other people's gardens. Part of the reason that we should be in church together, part of the reason why a regular rhythm of coming along on a Sunday is a really good thing to have, is it's actually about helping one another, supporting one another in those times when the thorns and the weeds and the bugs are high in our life. And it's a place of encouragement, of common understanding that you're in a room of people that are not that haven't got it all together. If you're sitting here and thinking, I've got it all together, I'm sorry, you're not surrounded by those people. Most of us are sitting here going, I hope they think I've got it all together. Don't look at me. I, I, I've got it all together. We don't. None of us have it all together. There are all kinds of things going on. That's why we gather. That's why we journey together. Because we need one another's support to get through the challenges of life. So don't be surprised when someone's going through the flames that in that moment they're not willing to sign up for your serving program. Don't be surprised in that moment when the things are going on that things just don't quite look right. But journey with them, walk with them and help them sift through those weeds because on the other side will be some really good fruit. Then in Matthew 13 verse 8 we read this. Still other soil fell, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then he explains in verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, here's a truth that's important to remember about the practices of farming in the first century. You could get away with the seeds not fully producing because the ones that did brought in a bumper harvest. You didn't need every seed to actually produce because the seed that fell on a good soil, it might yield a hundredfold what was sown. It might yield 60-fold what was sown. It might yield 30-fold what was sown. But it didn't matter exactly that all things did. There are some times that you share faith with someone and you're just really surprised because it just takes. And they just go, yes, this is what I've been looking for. Thank you so much. And then they get really excited and they build big roots and in six months they're heading overseas as a missionary and 20 years' time their, their kids are leading a thousand people to Jesus. Okay, maybe that's a bit exorbitant, but you get the idea. There are just some times where it's amazing how well it goes. This is where they hear the word and it makes sense and they go, thank you. 
They don't just understand it with their head. It, it seeps into their heart. It's like transforms their life. The gospel is real to them. And you say, give me more of this, God. Oh, may this come more often. But it doesn't always happen. But here's the key to the whole parable. If you've decided to follow Jesus, now all of that is relevant if you've decided to follow Jesus because it's actually the journey of life and faith. The journey of life and faith is, are you, putting in, are you putting in roots? Are you making sure that you've got those things in place to hold you when it gets difficult? Uh, the journey of life and faith is, challenges are going to come, thorns are going to grow, bugs are going to attack me. Have I got the people around me to help me weed? Am I finding ways to get rid of the bugs? Am I making sure that I'm as good soil as I That's all really important. But here's the part of the message that Jesus specifically actually meant for those following him. <coughs> Way back in verse 3, he says this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. A farmer went out to sow his seed. I can guarantee one thing, almost, because God does some strange things, but as much as I can guarantee, I can guarantee this. If you don't share the gospel, you won't reap a harvest. If you're not open to taking a risk with people in your orbit, in your friendship group, uh, in your small group, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, again, wait until they're people of peace, sort of get some ideas that they're open to it. I'm going to touch on that in a moment. But if you don't share the gospel, you won't reap a harvest. The only agenda that I have to that is I have actually had someone random run up to me who didn't know I was a Christian and just come and said, I want to know Jesus. And they weren't high. So that's not what they were saying. They actually just, whatever reason, they just needed someone. Um, okay, that is the rare exception. Generally speaking, if you don't share the good news, you won't reap a harvest. And Jesus called his followers to go and make disciples. And that wasn't to the super Christians. That was to every follower who would follow after him. So here's one of the things you can do as you're journeying with your friends and family is ask this question. What soil are your people of peace? Where are they up to? What's their kind of response? And, you, and if you're here last week, I asked you to kind of identify who are some of the people that you think might at least be open to engaging with you. Maybe they're not ready to come to church. Maybe they're not even ready for a Bible study. Maybe they're not quite ready even for you to share. But where are they at? Identify where they are, what soil they might be. And then cater your sharing to that season. So we try not to sow where people are not receptive. So you don't, you don't get an A, a plus just for going out and throwing your seed into the air and going, yes, I sowed some seed. When you have absolutely, you know, you just know that's not going to be fruitful. So do actually be a little bit um, thoughtful about how you sow your seed, who you're sharing it with, where are they up to, take some time. But if you don't sow it, you won't harvest. Uh, when they accept the gospel, the job isn't done. In many ways, it's only just beginning. You then try and help them to grow roots, get them plugged in. Now, if they're in the area, we'd love you to bring them along to our church. If they're not in the area, 
get them connected to a church in the area. Skip us for a couple of weeks and go and attend with them so that they can go there. Then come back. No, either way, let's just sort of work it out. But make sure they get connected. Build in some roots, build in some foundations, things like that. Uh, journey with them through life's ups and downs and make sure that we're journeying together. Uh, this is why, this isn't, I wasn't planning this, but I'm going to go down there. This is why life groups are actually an essential part of following Jesus. We are all busy. We're all, too, we're all too busy, except that it's so important because we definitely grow more in circles than we do in rows. And so I encourage you, and again, it may not be that our life group's working, but there's all kinds of different ways. If you'd like to know more about that, I can talk with you. There are so many models that I know of. All a life group is is an intentional place where two or three people, as a minimum, are getting together on a regular basis to actually do life together, where you actually talk about the real things, where you actually open up about the challenges and the weeds and the thorns that are going on in your life. Because you can hide them here. You can hide them in rows. I have no idea sometimes. You can't do that in circles and you need that. But we have to sow the seed to harvest. And the last thing that I'll leave you with is this. What soil are you? As you were looking through those, where are you at at the moment? Maybe you were the rocky soil. Maybe you actually have had a faith once and maybe you've been coming along for a while, but you're not, you're not really in. But you've got this kind of inkling that I want to be. What does it look like for you to put some roots down? Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need to come and talk to me or maybe talk to some friends in the church who might be able to help you with that. Uh, maybe you're the seed that's scattered and the, you know, the, the weeds are growing up around you and choking you. Maybe you've got some bugs in your life at the moment that you would really like some pesticide for because they just, just won't go away. Again, I'm happy to chat. Others in the church, you might have some friends that you can chat with. But if that's you, don't leave without a plan for how you're going to challenge that. And maybe right now you're in a really good place and you are the good soil Make sure you make hay while the sun shines. Get out there and share the good news and continue to be good neighbours and be a, a light in your workplace and be an ambassador in your family and, and just continue to put in place all of those things that are going to help build you up. That we as a church would continue to see people journeying towards Jesus. Because that's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's what it's about. But if you want to reap a harvest, you have to sow the seed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather today and we thank you for that we have lessons from you. We thank you that you are able to teach us and give us some ideas about what it actually means to follow you. So I want to pray that you would encourage us. I want to pray that you would challenge us, that we'd be able to go out this week and reflect on where we're at, where our friends are at, where the people of peace in our lives are at, and help us to take steps towards you. We thank you for this time. Pray for your blessings on us as we look to head home in a while, and Lord, we look forward to being back together again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.